Well, good morning again. From that prayer, I'm going to go straight into another one, asking God to bless the reading of his word. And then we'll go right into Philippians 3, verse 1. Bow your hearts with me. God, like we said, with the little kids up here, we say it again, with the big kids. We are thankful that you've told us who you are, that you've given us your, your word, created, inspired over millennia through faithful witness, protected, handed down by the power of your Holy Spirit, and even now today, it is alive, it is active, it is infallible, it cannot fail to accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it. It's with that in mind that we sit now under your word, trusting that we will hear not just about you, but from you. We are listening, Father. Your children are listening. Please speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's letter to the Philippians, the third chapter from verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, I want to stop for just a second. I didn't get very far, did I? Rejoice in the Lord, he says. We are picking up this letter, this, this most positive, most upbeat, most joyful, most optimistic of all the letters that Paul wrote. And he wrote, think about it, about half of your New Testament. He's rejoicing here with his friends in Philippi. He's rejoicing that their church is doing well. They had sent a friend to him, Epaphroditus. And that friend got deathly ill, but God saved him. And Paul's rejoicing about this. I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you so you can celebrate with him that God didn't let him die, but that God has more work for him to do. Paul's excited to share that because of Paul's situation, the entire praetorium, or imperial guard has come to hear the gospel. That's right. Paul is writing this letter, this happiest of all his letters, from the least happiest place on earth, from prison. Two years he would spend under prison Guard awaiting trial, two years not knowing what charges even would be brought against him, let alone who would testify and what they would say. Can you imagine? Oh, he was in trouble. You know, in the Roman world, Caesar was God. Caesar was divine. He was the son of God. And for Christians, this growing group, within Roman society, for Christians to say, no, Caesar is not God, there's only one God, and we worship him alone, that was dangerous. And here Rome was, they had one of the leading figures 
in Christianity. Paul of Tarsus, they had him. They had him under lock and key. And you better believe they were not in a hurry to release him or to go lightly on him. In fact, Paul was imprisoned under the rule of one of the worst, grouchiest, meanest emperors that there ever was, at least if you're a Christian, Emperor Nero. And so he languishes here, awaiting his trial. Tradition holds Paul was held prisoner in Rome, at least at one point, in a prison called the Mamertine Prison. It's still there if you go to Rome with me someday. And wouldn't that be fun? I hope you all do. Uh, I'll take you there. We can go and see it. It's still there. Today they've built it up and they've made a little bit of a eh, tourist attraction. Sounds it's not it's not touristy, you know. But they built it up to make it in significance. This is the outside, and then you go inside, and uh, cella inferiore. You know what's that sound like? What do you think that means? Exercise your Italian skills. What? The dungeon. Yeah, right. The inferior cell or the lower cell, right? So you take these steps, which weren't there, by the way, in Paul's day. But you take these steps down, 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 down. Go ahead. And then here it is. You can actually go inside. And that one hole on the top is how everything would get down. The people, the food, letters, if they were allowed to get letters. Everything would be done. And then that altar, of course, has been since been built by the church. That wouldn't have been there. But uh, that's it. It's about, it's about five and a half feet tall, maybe. I, th- I think my head, if I remember correctly, will hit the ceiling if I stand straight up. Is this the place from which Paul wrote this letter? We can't know for sure, but maybe. Two years, can you imagine? Can you imagine? And then to be able to say something like, rejoice in the Lord. Let's go on. Paul continues, verse 1, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And a warning, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. You might think he's talking about Rome here, but he's not. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Do you know what he's talking about? Mutilating the flesh. What's he talking about? Do you know? You guys need to go to Sunday school. Nine o'clock, right? He's talking about what? Yeah, well, circumcision. He's talking about those who would preach, who would teach, that in order to become a Christian... First, you have to become a Jew. In order to become a Christian, first you have to become a Jew. You have to be circumcised. And then add, see what they're doing is they're adding Jesus to all the Old Testament rules and regulations and festivals and and feast days and rites and purity and sacrificing and all that. They're just adding Jesus to to it. Now listen here, because Paul fought against this in nearly every letter that he wrote. He's fighting against this tendency. This, 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 this 
tendency that we have to add things to Jesus, faith in Jesus and something else. And Paul taught that he, Paul saw that, 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 that this teaching, adding to Jesus, Jesus plus something else is needed for salvation, he thought that that teaching was far more dangerous to the church than Romans who would throw Christians to the lions. You realize that? That teaching is more dangerous to the church than than Romans who would throw Christians to the lions. And Paul was right, you know. They stopped executing people for being Christian in Europe, anyways, a long time ago. But how many people, I wonder how many people have been stopped from coming to Christ because of the extra stuff that the church has added to Christ. You need Christ and indulgences from the Pope. Christ and baptism. And not just baptism, but this specific kind of baptism. You need Christ and, what else have people said? Church membership. Christ and vote Republican. Right? It's gibberish. It's nonsense. It's ludicrous. It's beyond that. It's an assault on the gospel. You know what adding those more requirements does? Adding those requirements to what you need to be saved? It's a power move. It's a power move because the person adding the requirements gets to call the shots, doesn't he? He gets to tell you what you need to do and how you need to do it and whether you're doing it good enough or not. It's a power move. And Jesus will have none of it. Jesus reserved his harshest words for those who would keep the little children from coming to him. Something about millstones being tied around your neck. So that's what Paul's saying. Rejoice, guys, but watch out for those dogs and do not listen to what they're saying, those who mutilate the flesh. Verse 3, let's go on. For we are the circumcision. Whether we have foreskins or not. That's what, Paul, that's what Paul wanted to say. But he was in more genteel company, I don't know. Who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Now, if anybody could have used his position, if anybody could have used his position for a power play, to add to what you need to be saved, Paul could have done it. Paul was upper crust Jewish society. He was educated. He, was, had, he had the job. He had the respect. He, he knew how to wear all the garments correctly. Listen to his, listen to as he recites his resume now. And maybe even imagine him. Was he sitting here on, the, on, the, on this prison cell floor looking up at that hole of light? And was he thinking, maybe thinking about that life that he used to have? The respect, the position, the job, the 401k, the, 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 the sports car. I don't know what it was that he'd given up, you know. Was he thinking about all that as he recites his resume here? He goes on, if anyone else has reason to think, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, so he wasn't a convert, see, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, his mother tongue was Hebrew, the language of God, not Greek, right? 
as to the law of Pharisee. Pharisees, those are exclusive club of like pastor leaders, and they held a lot of control over the worshipers uh, in Israel. Verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. That's right, he was a persecutor of the church, remember. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's an incredible statement. That's an incredible statement. But whatever gain I had, he says in verse 7, whatever gain, all that stuff, as he looks up that beam of light coming in, thinking back to the life that he had just a few years ago. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now what in the world could cause a person to believe such a thing? Most people who lose everything that the world says is important, they turn to despair. Just a few decades before Paul was here in Rome, you know, I mean, you know the story of Anthony and Cleopatra? They were conquered, they were defeated. Cleopatra was offered clemency. The ruler, Augustus, what was his name before he was Augustus? Octavian, that's it. General Octavian, yeah. He, he was pretty ruthless, but in this particular battle, he was going to offer her clemency. He wasn't going to kill her, but she offed herself because she just couldn't bear the thought of living as a mockery, as a laughingstock, as a failure. And her story is not unique, right? I could choose any story from, from, from history, uh, military leaders who've lost, uh, or, or not just that, but uh, people who've lost their families, people who've gone through divorce and they just can't take it. Right Back in 2008, when the market was crashing, people were committing suicide. Do you remember? Do you remember? They were losing their homes and their 401ks, and therefore life was not worth living anymore. Isn't that incredible? And today we're facing a rising epidemic with young people, teenagers, especially teenage girls, but teenage boys as well. As this social media world and, 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 and cyberbullying and all that it's sending a powerful message to kids, and they can't escape it. Once the, once, once, once the bullies start to pile on, they can't escape it. You, you and I, when we were bullied at school, and believe it or not, I was bullied at school. Cool as I am, I was bullied at school too, once or twice. I know, I know, you can't hurt. But uh, I could go home. I could go home and watch TV or turn on a video game or, or, or sit down at a meal with my family and be removed from that until the next day. And maybe by the next day, people had forgotten about it anyways and it were leaving me alone. That's not the case anymore. You know, now more and more, because, because we're living on the devices, we're living on the devices, you never get away from the bully. Can you imagine what that would be like when you were a kid? If the bully went home with you? If the kids who were making fun of you went home? This is what we're doing. But now... Now, imagine how tough that is and how bad that is. But now, imagine what it would take for a person to lose all that. Whether we're talking about Cleopatra, military leaders, 
you know, your 401k or the teenager at the high school, to lose all that the world said was valuable and important, but yet to count it as loss. All the people who used to respect Paul, they now tell him he's useless. The authority that he once had was gone. He unfairly had his freedom taken from him. He was locked up. He'd lost friends, money, a good standing in the community, his home. Yet listen to what he says as he continues here in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Here's why. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and that I may know the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Can you imagine having something so valuable that it makes everything else in life that you used to value look like crap. Sorry for being a little bit crass, I guess, but Paul is crass. That's what he calls it. That word for rubbish in Greek is skubalon, which is a slang term for the excrement that flows down the street. He's not just saying, oh, I don't value that stuff anymore. He's coming up with the most vulgar word he can think of. And he's applying that to all the things he used to think were important. Again, if we go to Italy together someday, I'll take you to Pompeii. Pompeii, that ancient city buried by Mount Vesuvius and preserved in such pristine shape. This is me and a buddy. I guess we're doing our Abbey Road impersonation. Um, but you can see that crosswalk is, uh, it's pretty neat, isn't it? It's pretty nifty how it works, but it's not just there for decoration and it's not just there because they needed a cross for safety because you need a crosswalk for safety. That's not why they have it there. You see the stones are spaced far enough apart for wheels of a, of a cart or of a, uh, what else would they come through with? A carriage chariot, right? And then the gutters of each street were wide and the, and the street domes, much like it does our roads today. And then every city in ancient Rome would be on a slant because all these buildings on the side, those are all houses on the side here. Those are, every one of those, you can even see the little white markers that mark out the numbers there. Those are houses. And so what would people do with the waste that comes from the house? They don't have pipes underground to take it away. They don't have flush toilets. It goes in the street. And then they would pray to the gods that the rain would come with regularity and would wash everything 
out, away, down to the sea. That word for that waste that's poured into the street is scubalon. And that's, so Paul says, there's a visual for you, all of the esteem I used to have, all the life I used to have, that's what it is to me now. Compared to knowing my Lord. I wonder if Paul's thinking about this teachable moment that Jesus had that Diane read for us a little while ago. When he's telling his disciples that he's going to have to die, that the Son of Man is going to die for the sin of the world. And Peter says, never. We won't let it happen. And Jesus rebukes him, again, with very harsh words. We tend to read our Bibles in this polite tone of voice, you know, with uh, reverence and hushed tones. There's a lot of anger and there's a lot of human emotion in there. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says this, and calling the crowd to him uh, with the disciples, he says, come here, everybody, come here. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Why would he say something like that? Well, the things that we love, the things that we value more than Jesus, are very likely to keep us away from him forever, if we're not careful. He says forever, verse 35, uh, he says, I'm in Mark 8, by the way, if I didn't say that, Mark 8, 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Maybe it felt like Paul had the whole world back in his heyday. And forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him... Will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels? I'll close with a question or two for you. Do you want to know Jesus like Paul knew him? Think of all the little carrots that the world dangles out in front of you and says, follow this, chase this, sacrifice for this die for this, this much income, this size house, this kind of vacation. Don't you want to consider things like that to be rubbish, scubalon, compared to having Jesus? How do you do that? Because if I'm honest with you today, there are things that I often value more than Jesus. I'm not proud of it, but that's that's the truth. How do you do that? I, step one is wanting it. Step one is wanting it. To, so pray for the desire to know Jesus like Paul knew Jesus. You may not want him more than anything in the world today, but you should. And if you want to want him like that. I've said this before. 
do you want to want him, right? If you want to love Jesus like that, then be encouraged because that means God's working on you. That means he's moving in your heart. Lent started last Wednesday. Lent, it's a season, and it's full of all kinds of traditions, Lent is. Ashes on the forehead, we did that on Wednesday. Some people, Catholics, they won't eat meat on Friday. Okay, whatever. Um, What else do people do? They give things up like coffee or chocolate or ice cream. Is that what you gave up? Uh, For many of us, especially those of us coming from maybe non-denominational traditions, that stuff, maybe it sounds like ritual or superstition, and and it can be. I'm sure a lot of people give up, you know, video games, and then they suffer, and they, you know, just with all the boredom, and just don't know what to do with themselves, and it's agony for, for six weeks and all that, and then at the end, they're just so proud of themselves, and maybe they even go so far as to think that God must even be pleased, proud of them, and like them even more than God did before, which is a very dangerous thing, of course, don't do that, and you can give up video games, but don't think that, uh, don't do it as a way to be proud of yourself, and don't do it thinking that it's going to make God love you more, but no, do it Make a sacrifice during Lent and replace it with something. You have that desire to love Jesus more, right? So Lent is a great opportunity. Don't be so, so quick to dismiss it. Our ancestors in the faith, you know, they knew what they were doing. They have some pretty good ideas when they come to some of these spiritual disciplines, you know. Fasting is a pretty useful tool. So what would it be like? Say a prayer. Ask God what he'd have you give up or, or whatever. But then what would your life be like? Say you, say you decide uh, to, to turn off the television uh, after 8 o'clock. Just an example. The TV goes off after 8 o'clock for the rest of Lent. And then don't just turn it off and be pleased with yourself because you're suffering now in boredom and in silence because now you and your wife don't know what to do because uh, you're in the same room together and there's nothing... Uh, But no, replace it with something. Read through the Gospel of Matthew together. Listen to a podcast or some sermons. Even listen to Christian music together, right? How would your faith, do you suppose, how would your faith change? See, we think that, oh, I love what I love and that's just how I'm made. That's nonsense. You might love Burger King But you are the master of your desires. You can change that love if you so choose to do that. You can do that. What the power of the Holy Spirit. If you already want to love God more, that means the Spirit's already working in you. So the Spirit's already given you the power to do it. He's already given you the ability to love God more. You just have to do some things to change your desires. Change your loves. Lent is a very good time to practice something like that. So I'll pray for you. You pray for me. I'll pray for you that this Lent God will use to do just that. Sound good? Okay, let's pray. God, thanks again for this day, for this family that you've uh, put together here in this church. How the love that you've given us one for one another. 
and for the work that you're doing to bring new believers to yourself, to encourage those of us who have been believers for a long time, and to challenge us, to challenge us, to change our loves, to love you more. And maybe, if it costs us something, if we lose something by following you more closely, maybe you give us the grace to come to see that thing we lost as rubbish. It's all rubbish compared to what we've gained. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.